Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? Now, do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Not going to do any of the accents. Wesley. <laughs> Today we're talking a movie from 1988. One of my favorites of all time, Coming to America. Not to be confused with Coming to America. The forthcoming prime original, Coming to America, the sequel. You know, in former times, that would be a harbinger of bad things, right? Which I guess is a redundancy. Coming (laughs) to America would show up after, what, 30 plus years and go directly to Amazon Prime. I'd be like, oh, that's a bad sign. Hmm. But it's not for some reason now? Now that it, now that everything is going directly to streaming, that's an exaggeration, but a lot of major things are going to streaming. And you've seen some other follow-ups that have done some justice to their, their predecessors, uh, Bill and Ted. And Borat. Maybe it's a comedy thing. Here we are reviewing Coming to America um, 33 years since this movie came out. And how long has it been since you've actually seen this movie? I uh, watched it just last night, but before that it had been about a year, but... Uh, This doesn't feel, I mean, obviously this is an 80s movie and this is a prime 80s movie, specifically for director John Landis, who did a bunch of great 80s movies. But this one wasn't one that I continually revisited as a kid. Coming to America feels like a special Eddie Murphy movie to me, at least as I recall it. I don't remember having a copy of this. And so when we saw it, it was like, oh, Coming to America. It helps that this movie is so clearly a fairy tale. I don't think I ever really realized that, like how just Cinderella fairy tale this thing is, which probably explains why I liked it so much when I was a kid. 
Eddie Murphy has this weird um, hold on my my childhood. I was far too young to be watching his movies and his stand up, and yet they're burned into my psyche. And for many years, probably until I don't know, <laughs> probably until my twenties, I laughed like Eddie Murphy, and then kind of grew out of it. Yeah, doing the Eddie Murphy laugh that everyone knows him for that's not in this movie at all. His character is almost Will Ferrell elf-level joyous. <laughs> I would say a lot of this is the unrelentingly happy Eddie Murphy smile, the whole face smile that carries a lot of this movie. You know exactly the one I'm talking about. Like when he's attempting to talk to McDowell in McDowell's office. Yep, and like the, the mop-pushing smile. <laughs> <laughs> he is the mop pushing I made a boo-boo talking about football smile. Uh, also employed at, at least once in the Coming to America trailer we just watched prior to hitting record. Yeah, Coming to America, coming March 5th. It seemed like that trailer, that trailer's promise is that all the people and elements that we love in the original Coming to America are coming back. I'm pretty sure you could bury baby faces like Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall under the makeup and their characters would look the same, except they don't. They look appropriately aged. A wonder that some of those mighty sharp barbershop dudes are still around, but I'm glad that they're there. They were pretty old in coming to America. And especially the the old Jewish man. Yeah. But he's probably on, on like a macrobiotic diet or something. He's, he's Tom Cruise ageless. Yeah, it's New York. But- is Eddie Murphy in whiteface like okay? I mean, blackface is completely inappropriate. I mean, this is you saying that the old Jewish guy is white. Are Jewish people white? This is how colorblind yes. I am. This is how equal opportunity and accepting I am. I don't even see wow. color. If there's, <laughs> look, I can't go on record and say that this isn't a an obvious stereotype. What plays into the racism is exaggerating the blackface minstrel type character. But it's either the best stereotyping ever or extremely accurate acting. Like if he's a serious, if he's seriously, there's no way. There's no way to justify it. And yet we love this movie so unreservedly. It's okay. Like in watching the trailer, no part of me was like, "Uh oh, that might be a no-no now. And I might be wrong, but our separation from the 1988 coming to America, having these people back, they're naturally going to be in different places because they look different and they're considerably older. But a fairy tale, frozen in time, the only fairy tale, probably, with Samuel L. Jackson wielding a shotgun. Sam Jackson was always badass. He doesn't have to wield a shotgun, though he does in this movie, and yet he's so menacing all the time. And this five years before Pulp Fiction... So fairy tale and themes. Um, If this movie has a theme, it is that true love prevails, true love triumphs. I'm not sure if that applies. Or one day my princess will come. This is based around love. This is a romantic comedy in Eddie Murphy style. It's about Eddie Murphy being his best charming self. We've always talked about how likable he is and how he just kind of is a cut above maybe even comedians i mean yeah he's got his raunchy stuff he has his controversial stuff but he's one of those effortless sam cook level performers who just 
it probably is a lot of hard work. And there's no doubt. I mean, we've heard from people like Jim Carrey and Mike Myers how miserable all that makeup is, but he seems mm -hmm. to love doing it. And, uh, you know, this is before The Nutty Professor. It probably allowed for movies like The Nutty Professor and having confidence in jumping around from character to character within the same scene. But I'm sure he works really hard, but he makes it look so fun and effortless that it doesn't, uh, it's just about watching him and enjoying his range. I guess, him and Arsenio Hall. And this, too, shot in 1988, was kind of at the height of Eddie Murphy-ness. Like, he he come off of, what, Trading Places with John Landis, right? Yes. And was kind of at the apex. Like, Eddie Murphy had already arrived by the time that Coming to America came out and was basically he was in his, I think, his best form. Even John Landis said that Eddie Murphy, because they had a little bit of friction, it doesn't mean that they had a bad professional working relationship, but even John Landis said that Eddie Murphy is a totally different person on Coming to America than he was from Trading Places because he became Eddie Murphy, you know, for better or worse, all his public persona, and he knew what he was working with. He knew what he had. Eddie Murphy knew what Eddie Murphy was made of. Right. So he was, and everybody knew what Eddie Murphy was made of, and he could do whatever he wanted. He could be much more aggressive, much more selective, particular about what what is what was going into his movies, and uh, rekindling a friendship and a partnership, a professional partnership from a few years before. Still, the power dynamic had shifted. <laughs> It sounds like we are in ag agreement that it's simple. It's not brain surgery, but kind of a genius level performance here. But also this is, I mean, Eddie Murphy receives a story by credit on this. This was his original idea. And yep. I think that, that it says a lot about his sensibility and his taste, at least in terms of 80s sensibility, you know, that he had some real taste or real understanding of what to give to people. Uh, he's a gifted actor and, and mimic and... He's a smart guy, obviously, and that, that allows for him to be able to create his own material or at least generate the genesis of these ideas. Right, but still a full-on R. You could probably largely say this is not for kids. I mean, we've got Arsenio Hall's preacher, pastor presiding over the bikini contest. And <laughs> look, you got sexual chocolate. <laughs> sexual I almost did the voice. Don't let me do any voices, okay? I was going to, I forgot too. I was going to introduce you as sexual chocolate. Oh, okay. So you, you did watch the DVD copy that I handed you, right? Yes. Okay, you didn't do some weird thing like IMDb free TV, because if you will no. recall, they blew the rating right up top. There were naked booby bathers up front. Oh yeah. Your royal penis is clean. And, and beyond that, trying to nail down a rating for accessibility and for a wider audience, this was the glory days of our comedies, soft R comedies, where they're like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. I mean, the boobs are not at all central to this movie, could easily have been covered up, Could and there maybe is another cut where they are covered up. It would have been so easy to do, but this was an era when also kids were sitting on the stoop in Queens, apparently, without adult supervision, so that a random dude could be like, I have a date with Lisa today. And they're like, ooh. Like, where are those kids' moms? They're probably hanging out with the Goonies' moms, letting them run around in pirate caves. Leaving the kids unattended. So it's just boobs and, and F-bombs? Is that really, is that it? Yeah. I watched the featurette too. And um, at least in John Landis's opinion, this is the first black movie that isn't about being black. Or one of the first big black comedies that isn't about being black. That the characters are black. And they may even attend black awareness, miss black <laughs> awareness pageants. But the fact that they are black or even that the main characters are from 
Africa is secondary to the romantic comedy and the fantasy. I don't think it was an agenda. I'm not sure that there were necessarily agenda movies uh, at the point that this was shot. Uh, let's just say that coming to America isn't likely played at black awareness rallies. But they make fun and caricaturize both modern black culture and African culture. In a time when they I can mean, do it. Is Paula Abdul's choreography of the big dance number at Akeem's engagement ceremony inappropriate? I don't think so. This is never something that's been flagged to my knowledge, but it's African looking. I have to assume in that it's frenetic and full body and totally, I think for the time, contemporary dance steps. What I do know is that it's made African seeming, at least by the costumes, by the headdresses and the fact that it goes on for a long time. I didn't clock it, but they put that whole dance in the movie, which I think is kind of fun. It lends to the opulence of Zamunda and the fact that everything has ceremony. I mean, those scenes in the in the Zamunda Palace, not cheap. Everybody in wardrobe, right? <laughs> Probably two or three hundred people in full wardrobe. You know, a huge choreographed dance number. I mean, the, they didn't show a lot of Zamunda as a country, right? So it was all kind of put into that palace setting. But yeah, they didn't cheap out on the uh, the pageantry. Yeah, the whole budget for the costume and the dancing took away, I guess, from the location budget because those matte paintings were not exactly the best I've ever seen. It looked like Ricky Tiki Tavi in there, and I get that that's India, but it's also animated. <laughs> well, you know, maybe that was just a nod to the fairy tale-esque nature of this this story. There's no authenticity checks here. There's nothing, like, is this costume, you know, Culturally accurate. Culturally appropriate. It, it doesn't matter. I, I feel like this whole movie is pretty dumb. Like, Akeem is, for all his wisdom and savvy, it kind of goes out the window when he becomes a fish out of water. He's never had to be. He can look commanding and do the raised eyebrow thing and, and get his royal penis bathed. But once he's in New York, he can kind of revert, I guess, to his goofy, funny, hapless self. And he, when he has to be with the Sam Jackson armed robber, he can be authoritative and commanding and stuff. But otherwise, he is just kind of goofy. It's dumb, and it doesn't have to be play for anything. His character doesn't have to play for anything more than simple laughs. He's not even trying really hard for laughs. It's, in a way, kind of, it would probably be kind of boring to some people today. Nothing is really funny about McDowell's. To me, it tracked like an old movie that you kind of forgot about in adulthood, but is just comfort food to watch. Is this the fun? Is Coming to America the funniest movie ever? No, but it's one of the ones that makes me the happiest to watch. It's just so enjoyable to watch. And I think it has a lot to do with the pacing. The movie is fairly well structured in that almost everything is set up and paid off pretty expertly. The execution uh, keeps up with how well the story is structured. But when we do get to McDowell's house, right, when everything, when everyone is closing in on Akeem and his story is starting to unravel, the movie actually lapses into farce. That is the point in the movie where McDowell, played by John Amos, gets kind of silly. He's running around and opening doors and slamming doors and people are coming in and out of doors. And it's like, it's it becomes like a Neil Simon play. And so it's that scene and it's the younger sister that kind of make this really silly. 
as younger sisters tend to do. I don't know about that, but um, Eddie Murphy turns back into his princely self. For some reason, he has to go back and get in his princely garb before he can see his mother and father. But then he's back to his kind of reserved, very composed and confident Akeem self. It's almost like he has Queen's Akeem, where he's like... Queen's Akeem. Queen's Akeem, where he's like silly and fish out of water. But even when he's Queen's Akeem standing in the bathroom line, he reverts to, to Prince Akeem. As he gets worshipped by the uh, concessions guy. Yeah, he's got a rep. He's got to uphold his rep. And even more so, maybe he can't be goofy or or non-regal around his parents. Hey, we're going to see my parents. It's obvious because of the flower petals. We should probably change to look presentable. Like imagine if the king and queen had showed up and found Semi in the nicely spruced up room. Imagine if they had found him in like the dead body shithole. How much more trouble he would have been in. (laughs) That they were like, let's. We should probably put on the leafy berets and show up proper. As the movie gets zanier, Akeem and Semi go back to their sort of regal state, where he's speaking to her simply and losing a little bit of the charm that he had in being funny and and all the stuff that brought Lisa to like him. Yeah, he covers for all that though by saying by telling her up front, like, I am still that man that you met or that you presumably fell in love with. And so comedic, but I guess rounded characters, both Semi and Akeem had their soft sides, their funny sides, their, even if it wasn't directly attributed to their character, you can see Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall having a blast. Maybe the king, the most one note, maybe it would be obvious that he would have some tenderness and sympathy for his son, but otherwise he's yelly the whole time, you know, and uh, there's, and so there's one character, only one character that I didn't get. What? I was just thinking about his more tender moments when he gleefully tries to have the birds and the bees conversation with his son. I know I do. (laughs) So uh, did you know that he, that James Earl Jones and Madge Sinclair, who plays the queen, seven years after coming to America, they both also played the king and queen again in The Lion King. No way. And then unfortunately, Madge Sinclair died not too long after that. She died from leukemia. But yeah, kind of a neat reunion. So the point is that all the characters, I didn't hate any of them because while they may not be the most developed characters in cinema history, none of them were really one note. What I can't figure out here is the lady in the limousine when where she gives them that knowing look and then turns around. And that's yeah. the lady that Semi ends up with, or at least he's standing next to in the royal court at Akeem's wedding. Yeah, the lady in waiting, whatever that means. Was that just a look of the king changing his perspective or the parents kind of deciding, you know, the she told him no or whatever. And he and so the queen is berating him in a soft way for not allowing it to go Akeem's way. And then that lady gives that very knowing look and turns around as though she's instrumental in facilitating finding Lisa and bringing her back. When I was a kid, I always thought that that was Lisa in disguise. That is both racist and accurate because (laughs) I thought the same thing, but it was uh, like I thought she was in like Zamunda makeup, like heavily made up in a way that we didn't see her before. And it just passed me by. 
when it wasn't. And that makes it all the more confusing. If we had seen a shot of a lady from behind where it lingers just a little bit too long, you could say, oh, that was probably Lisa already along for the, you know, on the trip back or whatever, kind of getting Akeem back for his deception, kind of making him stew and worry a little bit. But it wasn't. And so the lingering nature of that shot always made me question it. Because it doesn't seem like, as from the queen's perspective or the king's, that this ruse is already in motion. Right. So how does this rose bearer, or whoever it was, was it the lady in waiting? Are you sure? I don't know. I know that she is present and standing next to Semi at the end. And beyond that, I think she had a presence throughout the movie. But in neither of these viewings did I track her as being like, oh, that's the one who makes stuff happen conceivably later in, in the movie. So in that way, it was maybe the movie's only drawback for me, that it was strangely <laughs> disassociated with who her character was supposed to have been established to be from the outset. Why do huh. we see her? Why is she relevant? Maybe it should have been set up a little bit better earlier on. Maybe it... She gets the idea from having overheard this conversation and we are left to assume that she then puts the plan in motion with with the king, because obviously the king and the queen are not surprised at the royal wedding. No, oh, yeah, they, they definitely orchestrated it at some point, maybe using her to facilitate. That could have been like a short film in and of itself. Is that lady going and and having a heart to heart and convincing Lisa to show up because maybe she had always been in love with Prince Akeem and. I've washed the royal penis so many times, and let me tell you, it was not to say that she was a bather. I don't know. I don't know. It's whatever. Well, I mean, if that's the only drawback in this movie for you, if that's the only sticking point, then I think probably coming to America is, you know, doing pretty all right. We haven't talked about Arsenio Hall, like at all. Yeah, Arsenio Hall, it's possible. It's probable that some young people going into coming to America won't know who this dude is tremendously popular in our day and i mean he hosted the the mtv video music awards what better status symbol that could there be especially then yeah arsenio hall was everywhere and when you put him in the right role he's almost like a protege to eddie murphy and arsenio hall they've been friends for many decades he was in harlem nights and it's just like someone who's in Eddie Murphy's orbit. Arsenio Hall. So, who, 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 who? <laughs> no, what happened to it. Arsenio? Who, who, Hall? Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> and then so what I, happened I th- to Arsenio Hall? Well, what happened to that lady? I think she she hopped out of the room and is still hopping and ooing somewhere in the hall, oh. waiting to be relieved by Akeem. <laughs> Bark like a dog. Arf, arf. A big dog. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> it's very awkward and she plays it so straight and, and it's funny this is i think the basis of this movie like if you're not going to laugh at that it doesn't require skill this level of comedy for most of the participants it definitely relies on the skill of eddie murphy but that scene is funny it's either funny or it's not and it's just the ridiculousness of her being in this long this gown and she's the most refined cultured prepped lady ever and then she's bouncing around and and woofing and oofing because i in my memory i didn't track this other lady that was in the limo i thought semi ended up with her that who would have been the perfect girl oh right because semi had no problem following tradition and 
living a life of luxury. It's always funny to me how he's so happy to be rescued. Oh, thank you, your majesty. When he, <laughs> like his punishment is to be removed from the horrible situation that he's found himself and condemned in. To the suite of the Waldorf Astoria. Right. I cannot imagine that he, if he ended up with the Hoppy Oofy girl, that he would be disappointed. Yeah, no. Semi would have been happier and even fronted as the prince to get some play. Yeah, any more than Patrice would have been disappointed to end up with Daryl, the Daryl hand-me-down. Although I wonder if that would have caused strained relations. Could McDowell have been like, well, you were a good guy before and you're still rich? Or would he have hated Patrice's boyfriend after that? Oh, yeah, you'd think he'd be happy because it's win-win for old McDowell. Yep. But why do the queen and king have such disdain for Semi at the top? Like the moment he comes in, they're like, what is it, Semi? He's goofy and he's obviously sucking up to them. He's not the person who's going to steer their son. He's probably a bad influence and probably like some adopted Scar type, Lion King's type brother-in-law who, or something, or like he's the, the, the figure who is meant to help Akeem with friendship and stuff, but it's prob- they're probably doing a favor to some other king or something <laughs> by hiring their kid. So they just tolerate having him around? Yeah. And they tolerate the fact that he can come in and out of royal chambers without knocking or asking? Yep, but not without okay. disdain. But do you know where he is? Like, what's happened to Arsenio Hall? Like, seriously, he embodies just as many characters, if not more, and they're just as colorful, just as fun, and just as different from his semi-character. I mean, the reverend character alone, <laughs> he has great comedic range in this movie, and he's a perfect complement, if not counterpart, to Eddie Murphy in this, and he's just fabulous, and then he goes away. You're talking about in real life. I mean, it all... Yeah happened for Arsenio Hall. He was a stand-up comedian and a protege to Eddie Murphy. He got his own show and was a big deal. And then his show got canceled. He disappeared. He resurfaced here and then with some charity stuff. At the time, he had a friendship with Paula Abdul, and, and Paula Abdul attributes her exposure and success kind of to him. And, uh, and she, obviously she choreographed that dance number at the top of the movie. Nothing happened to him. There was no controversy. He just kind of faded from the direct spotlight. And it looks like he hasn't missed a step in coming back to the characters, in coming to America. What's your favorite scene in coming to America? Interesting. I mean, it seems trite to say the barbershop scene, the mighty sharp scene. <laughs> but it's, it's fun, and it is where I see the most range from Eddie Murphy. And it's probably a testament to John Landis's skill too, that he can intercut without green screens or anything, or, or without split screens or anything like that. It's just reactions playing for characters who aren't there. Maybe this is rudimentary movie blocking and, and, uh, and continuity, but it seemed to work really well in a way that's shocking. <laughs> like watching the characters interact with themselves in a way that's flawless that sometimes for CG and having to stare at the tennis ball on the green screen doesn't work quite as well. This mm-hmm, I thought was mm-hmm. really effective. Really effective. So much so yeah. that, that we were watching the movie and it, it got more serious, you know, and he's having the heart to heart with Lisa on the subway, trying to convince her that he's the same guy. And Lisa realizes they're in a very public place. And mm-hmm. uh She's looking around at all the other people and the guy's like, what do you think? And the take red, a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Take a chance, honey. Oh, we did the voice. Yeah. And she gets off the uh, the subway. She's like, I just can't. And I turned to Kelly and I was like, you know, that was Eddie Murphy, too. Right. 
And she was no, like, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and that was pretty funny to me. The point is watching him do his thing. And if, if there's a my favorite scene, it has to be an Eddie Murphy scene. One of my favorite scenes is certainly not one of the more memorable scenes. I mean, I think that the, the, the best scene is probably the scene at the Black Awareness Rally or whatever it is that they go to because of just how well all of the characters come together, right? Like the barbershop dudes are in the, are in the audience. Um, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall are perfectly in character with Arsenio just you know, just finding everything to be so unbearable and Eddie Murphy being so, so excited to be in this all American rally where he's like, what does he say? Like, go, you know, when he's I'm very happy to be here. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, Lisa shows her character. They've got these amazing performances from the pastor and from the, the band leader, sexual chocolate. I mean, I think that's the best scene, right? McDowell's there, Daryl's there. Everybody is in this scene, and it's just masterfully orchestrated. This this movie has such a special place in my heart, and I don't... I, I was about to say I don't know exactly how, or I can't put my finger on why, but I guess we just did. Coming to America, 1988. Is this one of the movies you wish you could change your rating system for? No, because I give this movie a totally... You can't give them a totally. That's my rating system. Oh, well, then I give Coming to America a totally on your behalf. On my behalf. <laughs> I was kind of waffling because I you have to acknowledge the, the impact that this had on our childhood and that fuzzy place that it occupies. Is it a like the best Eddie Murphy movie? I don't think so. Come at me, bro. But if this, if, if Beverly Hills Cop is Eddie Murphy's The Hangover, then Coming to America is the old school. Don't even. You can't come at How me about that? Beverly Hills Cop. The Hangover is more treated like a serious movie and old school is definitely a comedy. I I don't see I don't see Beverly Hills Cop 2021. No, but so this was as you mentioned the height of Eddie Murphy's glory days and John Landis and he worked together again for the ill-fated Beverly Hills Cop 3. A couple years later. And Coming to America is arguably the last great John Landis movie. It might also be the last great innocent Eddie Murphy movie. I can't think of another movie after this where Eddie Murphy doesn't kind of have a chip. Whatever the case, this movie exists, Coming to America, at the perfect confluence of fame and and talent of Eddie Murphy and John Landis, uh, Craig Brewer, who directing Coming to America is not known for his comedy chops. So we'll have to see how that goes, but it seems like everything in place is just, it's hard for me to imagine that that magic can be captured this far on. We'll see March 5th. Thanks for listening to our review on Coming to America from 1988. It gets a totally from Wes. Wait, did you decide? No, I didn't decide. I don't think it matters. Coming to America is uh, review proof it gets a totally from iris that's our review on coming to america let us know what you think uh what's our phone number wes 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com follow us on instagram at or whatever movies thank you for listening for all of your support and we'll see you next time because the greatest love of all Inside of me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sexy chocolate!
Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for Female Empowerment, The Best Business Network, and GPN for Geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts, and... Hear the culture. Electric acid.